Are you looking for a place to get the COVID-19 vaccine? Are you wondering if you're eligible according to state guidelines? Do you have concerns about whether or not you should take the vaccine? We'll try to answer those and other questions about the coronavirus vaccinations in today's Know the News podcast, brought to you by the newsroom of the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Hello, I'm Rusty Turner. I'm the editor, and I'm your host for today's podcast. A little later, I'll let you know what stories we're working on for the weekend, but first, I want to talk about the big story of this week, and that's the expanding rollout of COVID-19 vaccinations. This week, Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson announced that vaccine availability would be extended to almost a million new residents who work in essential jobs, and that's known as Category 1C in the State Health Department's vaccine distribution plan. Vaccines had previously been available to Categories 1A and 1B, uh, which include people older than 65, frontline health care workers, teachers, food service workers, and the like. Uh, now, since Tuesday, there's been a rush uh, to, to make vaccine appointments by those newly eligible folks. But the governor has also reported that there are still many people who had previously been qualified for the vaccines who were still hesitant to sign up. We're going to talk about that and a lot more right now. Regular readers of our paper know that every Saturday since the pandemic began, we've published a story about the progress of the fight against COVID-19 in Northwest Arkansas. Over the months, we've focused on cases, the number of hospitalizations and deaths associated with the virus, testing availability, and now vaccine distribution. The author of most of those stories over the past year is Alex Golden, our reporter, and she's here with us today to help answer uh, some of those questions. Welcome, Alex. Thanks, Rusty. And we've also got with us today Dr. Marty Sharkey, Fayetteville's recently appointed health officer, who is working to keep people informed about the virus and how to protect yourself and your families. Dr. Sharkey, we really appreciate you being here today. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. So I'll, I'll get right to the questions, and I'll start with you, Dr. Sharkey. Why is it important for residents to, to take the plunge and get the COVID-19 vaccine? It is important not only as an individual, but as a community. So for your own protection, you know, we've seen that COVID-19 has a very high mortality rate as compared to other viruses that we that go around in our community. So one, to do to protect yourself. Two, to protect our community. By getting a vaccine, you are not just protecting yourself, you're protecting your loved ones and those that you interact with. And by doing that, as we have more protection, we have heard, approach herd immunity, we're going to be able to open back up and let our businesses thrive and our community come back to life. You use the term herd immunity. Could you take just a minute, and we've heard that a lot, could you take just a minute and kind of explain what herd immunity is and, and why it's important? So herd immunity is the concept that at a certain point of protection, whether it be from natural immunity or that provided by a vaccine, that a herd or a community has enough protection that the virus can no longer get into the community. So it is important that we get herd immunity for things such as measles and chickenpox to keep those illnesses at bay and very important for COVID. So it is a percentage of the population that needs to have immunity to keep an illness at bay. And it, that number varies depending on the infectiousness of, of the virus or bacteria or fungus that we are talking about. So for COVID-19, 
we don't know for sure because it's a new virus, but we believe that herd immunity is going to be about 75 to 80 percent of the population being immune. Okay. Uh, there, Alex, I think, has a question. Go ahead, Alex. Yeah, so, so one clarification on that, um, because people under 16 cannot get vaccinated right now, um, when you say 75 to 80 percent, do you mean the total population or people over 16? It's actually the total population. So if you look at it that way, we would need to over 16 to get to herd immunity, have 100% of that group pretty much wow. be be protected. So, but what we are seeing is that we have a degree of natural immunity in our community right now. And that combined with our vaccines is providing us what I term that's a fairly new term in public health is herd protection. So we are now being able to drive the vaccine numbers down. We aren't able to keep it out. We haven't been able to get rid of it, but we are we are in some gray zone between being fully vulnerable to the virus and full herd immunity. Okay. And and my understanding is is that is that uh, there are um, tests going on uh, um, right now to, to, to determine the, the, the effectiveness and safety for the, of the vaccines for people under 16. Is that correct? That is correct. So all three of the manufacturers of the licensed um, vaccines in the U.S., that being Pfizer, Moderna, and Johnson & Johnson, are conducting tests um, looking at those under 18 or under 16. Pfizer is licensed 16 and up, the other two are 18 and up. And the way that vaccine trials generally work in pediatrics is that we kind of de-escalate. So we prove that it's safe and efficacious in adults 18 and over, and then we do a 12 to 18 cohort, and then a five to 11 cohort, and then a two to four, and then the six month to two. So we kind of slowly incrementally go down. Um, and figure out the dosage and safety for the different age ranges. So one of the things that, that we've heard from folks who've, who've received the vaccine is that there, there are some minor reactions. A lot of people do, uh, do experience some, some minor reactions to the, to the vaccine shot. Can you kind of describe that and what those reactions have been and what people can expect uh, once they, once they receive the vaccine? Yes. So the, with the first dose, and let me, the first dose and second dose are identical as far as the amount of vaccine. Um, so you get your first dose, and generally people have a sore arm, maybe a little achy, um, maybe some low grade fever. And that is the inflammatory response, so your immune response to the vaccine, which we want to see. That means your body's mounting a response and making antibodies. And then with the second dose, your body says, oh, I've seen this before and reacts to it, which is why we call it a booster. And we just kind of boost that immune response. And that is why with the second dose, you're hearing people saying, oh, I was okay with the first dose, but the second dose went, man, it really got to me. And that's actually a good sign. That means your body did respond, that you are making antibodies and you've made even more. So while that, you know, for some people is a little distressing, um, it's actually a sign that your body is doing what we want it to. Okay. Um, we've all heard stories about vaccine hesitancy and folks who, who for whatever reason, don't want to take the vaccine. 
Um, mm -hmm. As a health professional, what uh, what do you say to someone who who is hesitant to 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 take the COVID nineteen vaccines? Well, it all depends on why they're hesitant. Um, so I try to get to the to the root of that. So it's everybody has different reasons. One of the main ones that we're hearing is the people that are on the fence, like, I'm not sure I'm going to wait. Um, maybe this vaccine, you know, came to licensure too quickly. Um, and with those, I will tell them that, you know, no, there were no steps that were skipped. Um, usually vaccines take a long time to come to market mainly because there's not a lot of money generally put into vaccine research. Um, but with this one, as we saw, there was. And we had every vaccine scientist and every government across the globe concentrating on this effort. So the bureaucracy um, was, was gone. So we were able to move from step one to step two to step three, phase one, phase two, phase three quickly because we had everybody on the same page working only on this pretty much 24 seven. And then the other thing with that it went, why these studies went fast is normally when we give a vaccine, we watch and say, okay, this group's vaccinated, this other group is not. And we wait to see how many illnesses occur in the vaccine group versus the unvaccinated group. Well, when you're talking about a rare illness, that can take a long time. It's like watching paint dry. You're just waiting for the next case of measles or the next case of chickenpox. But with COVID-19, because it was so prevalent during the studies, we got those numbers really fast. So it was more the degree of the prevalence that we were able to bring these vaccines to market just because unfortunately, COVID was everywhere. So we were able to study it. Um, so the, uh, the Johnson & Johnson single-dose vaccine um, that was recently approved, um, so my understanding is that um, has a lower efficacy rate than the Pfizer or the Moderna. So um, would you still recommend that vaccine just as much as the others? Um, should some people um, maybe get the Pfizer or the Moderna instead, or um, would you recommend just taking whatever vaccine is av available to you? I recommend taking whatever vaccine is available. And trying to compare the efficacy of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine versus the Moderna and Pfizer, you're not comparing apples to apples, you're comparing apples to oranges. These vaccines were studied, one, at different times. So the Pfizer and Moderna studies were done before we were seeing some of these more virulent variants. So they, they kind of had an easier opponent, if you will. Um, and they were studied in different countries where these the variants were different um, and the virus was different. So you're not really comparing apples to apples when you, when you compare the two efficacies. And when you look at what we're seeing on the efficacy studies of Pfizer and Moderna, say in South Africa, where a lot of the Johnson & Johnson um, trials were held, they, they're performing relatively the same. So, take the vaccine that's in front of you and I would not hesitate taking the Johnson Johnson over um, the Moderna or the Pfizer. And the good thing about the Johnson and Johnson is that in two weeks after that dose, you're at full, full immunity as with the other two, it's two doses and it, that timeline is much longer. So you're going to get full immunity quicker with the Johnson and Johnson vaccine. 
So since the governor's announcement, um, we've heard story, we've heard anecdotal stories about a rush for people to get on lists and things like that. Uh, and this is for either of you, Alex or Dr. Sharkey. Have you have you been hearing about people uh, about this rush, and, and are, are have there been any problems with folks getting on 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 lists now that the the one C uh, expansion has taken place? I can say anecdotally that um, if you got on a wait, like some pharmacies were offering wait lists to people, um, regardless of whether they were eligible or not, and saying, you know, we'll call or email you um, when you are eligible. Um, from what I've seen, those people who were already on wait lists um, were contacted pretty fast um, once they became eligible. Um, it does seem like appointments are um, were going pretty fast um, right after 1C was announced, but it, I, I don't believe there's been... Um, I, don't, I don't think that it's been unreasonably difficult to get an appointment. You might not get an appointment the next day, but you should be able to get an appointment. I would agree with that. What we are seeing is that as vaccine appointment slots become available, they are filling up, but then 24, 48 hours later, there's more appointments available and then those fill up. So we are seeing, we are seeing it, what I would say right now, everything going fairly smoothly here in Northwest Arkansas, as far as the ability to get a vaccine in a timely manner, again, may not be that day or the next day or the place you want, um, the time that's most convenient for you, but you can get a, an appointment. And uh, and right now, just what somebody who's listening to this and and wants to get a vaccine but doesn't know, doesn't know how to go about it, what's the what's the best advice for them? I would recommend they start at the ADH website, which will show the different pharmacies that where vaccine is available. They can also go to the city health officer website as well as the Northwest Arkansas Council's website. All of those places will guide you in, in different areas to go be able to find a vaccine either at a pharmacy or at a mass vaccination clinic. So just getting online, you, you, they're pr pretty easy to, to navigate at the moment. And when you say ADH, you mean the Arkansas Department of Health? Yes, the Arkansas Department yep. of Health. And uh, it would be, uh, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette has on its website, free to all users, uh, a list of local pharmacies and, and vaccine sites uh, at nwaonline.com. So there are, those resources are out there in a, in a lot of different places. So, um, Okay. Now, you mentioned variants a minute ago. Um, so talk to us a little bit about variants. I know there's been quite a bit of discussion about that on... Uh, on national news and uh, how some of the variants may be more contagious, maybe a little more virulent. Uh, what do what do our listeners need to know about variants and and um, how how uh, vaccines will be affected by that? So every time a virus replicates, it there's a chance for a genetic mishap to happen, and with those, sometimes a genetic mishap happens and it makes the virus less virulent. Sometimes it happens and it helps the virus out and they're going to keep those, those new genetic changes. And that's how variants occur. So the more the virus replicates, the more variants can potentially occur. So another reason to, to get vaccinated is to prevent this virus from replicating and, and becoming more virulent potentially. And what we are seeing across the globe is different variants that have occurred. Um, we have learned that some of that is happening in people with weakened immune systems, that they are, that virus is more able to replicate and they're kind of 
becoming incubators of, of variants. Um, there are some out there that are not only more contagious, 30 to 50% more contagious, but also more fatal. Um, and they are seeing those in different parts of the world, Brazil, South Africa, parts of Europe, and here in the U.S., you know, we're seeing increasing cases in Michigan due to, to some variant outbreaks there. The U.S. has not done the best job of surveilling um, the virus samples for these variants. That we're ramping up, we're trying to get there, but we are not, for instance, like where the U.K. has been as far as being able to survey, surveil for this these variants. So that we know that they are here. They have um, been detected in Arkansas. So we know that they're here in the state, but we do not know to what degree. So very important to continue all of those public health mandates until we get this virus lower and we know that these variants aren't going to cause us more trouble. As far as with the vaccine, what we are seeing, it does still protect you from these variants, but maybe not to that 95, 98% um, efficacy that was initially reported, maybe more along the lines of the 75% that we're seeing reported with Johnson & Johnson. Those studies are ongoing. So it, the, the vaccine does provide you with protection from the variants, not to the super high degree um, that we were seeing, which was astronomical. We've never had a vaccine produced with these 95% efficacy ratings. They're just amazing and mind-blowing and so grateful that, that this time the science was definitely on our side with the development of the vaccines. So uh, with, with the vaccines rollout continuing and with, with numbers starting to decline in most places, um, you're hearing a lot of excitement in the voices of, of, of people in the community about how we're getting back to normal and things are going to be fine. And, and, and uh, you know, as far as travel goes, as far as activities, uh, group activities and things like that. I'm curious for both of you, uh, Alex and Dr. Sharkey, what are you hearing about that? And, and, and also, what's the best advice uh, uh, in, the, in, the, in the near term about, um, uh, about getting back to normal and, and how quickly that can happen? Um, well, Dr. Turkey, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, I understand the CDC has said that um, it is okay to um, to hang out basically in small groups if you are vaccinated with other people who are also vaccinated. Um, but what I am not so sure about, though, is if you are vaccinated um, and say that you are still taking um, most precautions, um, you know, are there still any behaviors that you that you wouldn't recommend? Like, for example, eating in a crowded restaurant with with people who are unmasked, anything like that, or if you are vaccinated, can you um, kind of go about how you did before COVID? Yeah, so it, it's not not quite yet uh, free for all once you get um, vaccinated. Um, you can be around others that are also vaccinated, or you could say, for instance, get in a group with four others, three of whom are vaccinated and one of whom's low risk. So there are ways to, to gather even with potentially somebody who's not vaccinated. And that's, you know, you can do that without mask and without social distancing, as long as the person that is not vaccinated is low risk for COVID-19, doesn't have any underlying risk factors. You know, the crowded restaurants, maybe not yet. I would not recommend um, because we don't know if that person next to you um, is in that 1C category with multiple risk factors. And we want to continue to protect each other. This is 
something that we're doing to move forward as a community um, and keep each other safe. So right now, we can't quite return fully to normal, but it's on the horizon. It's it's going to come, and the vaccines are rolling out. So it's a really hopeful hopeful time that we're going to get get more normalcy every week that goes by. And we do expect the CDC has stated that they are going to routinely be updating the guidelines as the cases go down um, and the vaccines go up. So it's exciting. So Dr. Sharkey, the governor has indicated that if we meet certain benchmarks with cases uh, that, that next week at the end of March, um, he will, he will change the, uh, the, the statewide mask mandate into a guideline. So what would you say as a health professional, what would you say to folks about wearing masks? Does that mean they can stop wearing masks altogether or should people continue to wear masks after that point? I would recommend that people continue to wear masks at the very least until we get the 1C population vaccinated and fully vaccinated. So that group includes those ages 16 through 64 with underlying medical conditions that put them at high risk for severe COVID-19 and death. And we just opened those slots up a few days ago. So it's going to take us, you know, at least six weeks for them to get their first dose and then their second dose. And then we have to wait two weeks after that for them to reach full immunity. So in order to protect those people who are very vulnerable, I would recommend that we all continue continue wearing masks as good citizens to, to protect our neighbors. Okay. And before we wrap up here, is there anything else you'd like for our listeners to know about COVID-19 and vaccinations and, 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 and how to combat the pandemic? So if I would add anything, is this bit of good news is that I got the best text that I think I've gotten through this whole pandemic from Melissa Thomas, um, who's the head of the Pitville Public School Nurses and Healthcare. And that is that throughout the district, as of this morning, there are zero cases in the Pitville Public Schools. Wow, that's uh, that really is good news, and I think my my COVID nineteen reporter over here, Alex Golden, is is excited about that and gives her gives her something to write about. So thanks for sharing that with us. So super. All right, uh, and uh, Dr. Sharkey, thank you for being with us today. I think our listeners will get quite a bit out of uh, what you talk, what we talked about today. So I appreciate your time, uh, and Alex, I also appreciate your time. And I also want to make sure, uh, you know, every Saturday you've been keeping us updated in the in the paper about COVID-19. Uh, can we expect another update tomorrow morning? For sure. Um, yes, every Saturday, um, you know, the story, of course, varies, but it, it basically always upda- updates our readers on how many cases are in the community, um, you know, um, how many doses have been given out of the vaccine lately, um, you know, how many people have been tested, and... Yeah, and so we'll have those for the foreseeable future every Saturday. All right. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for keeping us updated, Alex. And Dr. Sharkey, thank you for your your time this morning and educating our listeners about about, uh, COVID-19 vaccinations. Thank you for having me. Okay. Thank you. Of course, we'll have a lot more for you in this weekend's Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Let me take a minute to tell you about it. Our colleagues at the Arkansas Democrat Gazette in Little Rock have been writing stories about the impact of the coronavirus on its one-year anniversary. This week, they're focusing on the anniversary of the first death in Arkansas. Since it began, the pandemic has killed an average of 15 Arkansans a day. So be sure to check out this package of stories on Sunday. In Northwest Arkansas news, we've got a story about how one local police department has begun using drones to help them track suspects in foot pursuits and cover large events. 
Mike Jones continues his series on the upcoming bond election in Bentonville, this week looking at proposals for city parks. And Alex Golden, who was just here with us a few minutes ago, puts on her city government reporter hat and tells us about how commercial growth in Rogers has continued despite the pandemic. And also, Tracy Neal gets you ready for severe weather season with some tips on how to stay safe when the wind, rain, and floods come in the spring. Of course, we'll have all the sports coverage you want of the Razorbacks in the NCAA tournaments, the UA baseball and softball teams, the state championship games and high school basketball, and much more at wholehogsports.com. You can get all of this content and more at our website, nwaonline.com, and on our Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette replica apps for smartphone and tablet. Subscribers have full access to all of it. If you'd like to subscribe, just go to our homepage and click on the subscribe button in the upper right-hand corner, or you can call us at 479-684-5509. This has been the Know the News podcast from the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette's newsroom. My name is Rusty Turner. I'm the editor, and I'm wishing you all a great weekend, and we'll talk to you next Friday.